Thank you for being with us this morning. If you would stand, we'll continue with our song service. John chapter 7, verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Jared, would you open us in word prayer, please? Join us to sing in hymn number 227, Saved by the Blood.
be seated.
Go ahead and stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 185. I'm Savior.
Paul's been a preacher for many faithful years, preaching on a foreign field, his Bible stained with tears. He told about salvation's plan and how God became a man. Growing up, I heard this story time and time again, but I made it mine. The story you was telling of a Savior sent from heaven for mankind. I made it mine. I can't rely on Grandpa's faith to take me across the line. By the blood it's washed away, I thank God for the day. I made it mine. Grandpa's getting older, one thing that's for sure, a day will come, he'll take a I've met the one he loves His faith in God won't buy me crossing I'll go there because I made it mine The story he was telling Of a Savior sent from heaven for mankind I made it mine I can't to take me across the line by the blood is washed away I thank God for the day I made it mine I made it mine the story he was telling of a Savior sent from heaven stand once again we'll sing hymn number 145 it is well with my soul let's lift it up to the lord
good to be in the Lord's house today and to have you with us. You would take uh, your Bibles and we're going to be turning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. So several months ago I bought a book from a friend of mine. I uh, met this individual named Tom Brennan at a uh, pastor's couple's retreat. And um, he's a very studious individual, unlike me, so I like that, you know. Maybe I sat next to him, it could kind of rub off on me type deal. Uh, he's written several books. Um, one of the first that I read that uh, he wrote, actually my wife and I read together, uh, is called uh, Schizophrenia. 
and uh, is dealing with uh, Baptists and the look at Baptists in America in relationship to religion today. It was a very interesting book. And then he came out with this book. And um, I usually like books that are a little less, you know. Uh, and I like books that are easy read. I like books written at like a fifth grade level. This one's not. Uh, and so this book is entitled Freed from Sin, A Primer on Holiness. And the thing that caught my attention was the primer on holiness, the primer on holiness. Um, I have several books along that line. I think it's uh, something that's missing in religion today, uh, in Baptist realms of religion, holiness uh, is missing. And so I, I got it, and uh, my wife and I took a trip, and we began to read it and realized that this wasn't going to be light reading, you know, like you're driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour, and she's rattling off things, and you're trying to remember, and you're trying to concentrate on, oh, i am got to get out around this semi, and so I decided I'm going to take that book away from her, and I set it on a shelf. And I've got, I've got I don't know how many books sitting on a shelf that need to be read. And one day I picked this book up, and I normally read, I don't know, four or five books at a time. Uh, part of that's interest level on my behalf. And so I picked this up and began to read it and read the first couple of chapters. Thought, oh, okay, that's good, set it down. Came back about a month later, picked it up where I'd left off and began to read chapter 3. And um, it was one of those books that as I began to read chapter 3, I thought, man, what, what have I missed in chapter 1 and chapter 2? Because I felt like maybe I'd lightly read chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, I don't know if you read that way or not, but that's easy for me to do, to get... I, read on a, I can read on a level that I'm just trying to grasp it and other things are going on around me. But when I read chapter 3, it was a quiet day. It was a Monday. I was the only one in the office, and it just gripped my heart. So I went back and outlined chapter 1 and shared that with you last Sunday and uh, uh, outlined chapter 2, which I plan to share with you today. Um, and this book is just... I don't know how long I'll uh, preach to you out of this book. There's uh, 49 chapters. I don't think you're going to get all 49, but if you do, if they're as good as the first three, it's going to be well worth it, okay? And it may be one of those things that uh, I put down. I may preach a series of, he's broken it up in like five chapters in a grouping. And so I may do it that way and then preach five messages, step away, and come back. Uh, but I, w I want you to tune in with me, okay? This is not light preaching. Last Sunday was not light preaching. It was, it was targeted preaching. And we're dealing with the issue of sin. And I'm afraid that what's happened in America is that back in uh, the 19th century and 20th century is... America was coming along, being founded. We were founded as a Christian nation. I don't care uh, what the, one of the presidents said. It's, anyhow, I won't go down that road, although I really want to. Um, we were founded as a Christian nation, and 
schools used to meet in church houses, and many times they were taught by preachers and pastors because they were the more educated people in the community. And so they would teach and preach, and so you would grow up. Uh, it was not uncommon to grow up with you know, 80 and 90% of America going to church and being expected to be in church on Sunday. Could you imagine if that was still the case? Uh, rather than when I get home uh, and I drive down my, uh, my cul-de-sac area or the, the street there to my house, I look out and I go, man, none of these people have been to church today. And I can just tell it because they're already home, and I can tell it because they're mowing their yards, and you know, there's just a lack of concern for the things of God. The, the sad part that I'm really fearful of is that that is even prevalent right here in our midst today. And although we're here, I don't know that we're here. You know what I mean? I don't know that we're really grasping all that is to be grasped when it comes to the things of God. And so I would just challenge you, you know, kind of hook up and, and stay with me today. I'm going to throw some thoughts at you. Our message today is entitled Sin Defined, and I think it's good for us to have a good working definition of what sin is. And uh, I'll start with this, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 15, Paul is writing, and he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I don't know how many times I've read through that, and I think that what I do is when I read that I am chief, I think back to, well, Paul was talking about back when he persecuted the church, back when he'd take Christians bound and lead them to the Colosseums to be put to death. But I don't think that's where he's at. I think he's talking about where he is right there, that he still looks at his life and he realizes that he is chief of sinners. So here's where I'm afraid America is today. I'm afraid most of us don't look at ourselves and feel like I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, wretched sinner. I think we might think the guy next to me is. I might live with a dirty, rotten, filthy, wretched sinner. <laughs> Now, I know some of you are thinking that. I know you are. But the truth of the matter is, if Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, can speak of himself and say, I am a chief of sinners, then I think we ought to really evaluate where do we stand in God and where do we stand in sin. And does sin make us mad? Or is sin one of those things that we do on the side and it's just, well, you know, it's, it's Tuesday, I'm not going to be in church for a while, and sin is there, and, and, uh, and then maybe we value sin, and you go, well, you know, this is a little sin, it's not big sin, and so it's okay to do little sin, and it's not as abhorrent or as ugly as big sin. Now, we're going to consider those things today, okay? Romans chapter 7 where I took you as we started today, Romans chapter 7 and verse number 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me 
by that which is good, that sin by commandment might become exceeding sinful. Might underline just that last phrase there, that sin by commandment might become exceeding sinful. Lord, we love you today and thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Thank you for the uh, music that we've been able to enjoy, those who have developed our talents and are willing to use their talents for your honor and your glory to enhance our worship time. We thank you for that. We pray to God that you would be with those that are sick. Uh, we have many that are not here because of sickness, and uh, I just pray that you would touch their bodies and heal them, Lord, and I pray that we'd be faithful to pray for them. We pray to God that you would meet with us. We want to meet with you today. We want you in our presence. You have promised where two or three together, you're there in the midst. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open fillets in your presence, that you might do your work and write upon our hearts those things that would be necessary, those things that you want for us. Help us to not be complacent in our Christianity, in our living but God, help us to be challenged, to be renewed, to have a greater fervor to serve you. Lord, that uh, we would not just go with the, the motion of the era in which we live, but God, that we would desire to get back to the book and to get back to you and to walk with you and to serve you faithfully. As we know one day, and I believe it's ever present, that one day we'll stand in your presence. That we might be able to do so with glad hearts and rejoicing, and knowing that uh, we've done our best to live for you here upon this earth. Thank you, God, for all that you do for us. We love you. I pray that you would use me today as a mouthpiece and a conduit to speak forth the truth of your word and those thoughts you've given me. I love you, and I ask these things in your precious name. Amen. So, how do you view sin? Uh, how would you define sin? Well, sin is not some nebulous, insubstantial thing that is vaguely bad, okay? Sin is utterly horrific, okay? Uh, so there's different kinds of car accidents that you can come up on. You know, you can come up on a fender bender. The other day I was uh, at an intersection and a fender bender just happened. I mean, they tore the cars up pretty good, but everybody's out walking around. Or you can come up on the deadly car crash where it's a fatality. Someone's life has been taken. And, uh, you know, we, we would realize that they're both car wrecks, they're car accidents, but one was of greater circumstance because a fatality had been involved. I'm afraid that what we tend to do if we're not careful is we begin to look at sin and and in our Christian living, we begin to think about it as a fender bender, when in reality, sin is like a horrific, fatal crash, okay? And so it is. it should be utterly horrific to us that sin would be a part of our life. Charles Hodge, a Princeton Seminary uh, 19th century theologian, said, sin consists essentially in the want of conformity on the part of the rational creature to the nature or law of God. Uh, August Strong, a Baptist preacher and seminary president, said, Sin is lack of conformity to the moral law of God, either in act, disposition, or state. R.C. Trench, 
who was a 19th century theologian, wrote, Sin is the missing of a mark, our aim, the overpassing, our transgression of a line, the disobedience to a voice, the, fa the falling where one should have stood upright, ignorance of what ought to have been known, diminish, diminish, diminishing of that which should have been rendered in full measure, non-observance of the law, and a discord in the harmonies of God's universe. J.C. Riley, a 19th century Anglican, said, uh, Sin consists in doing, saying, thinking, or imagining nothing that is not in perfect conformity with the mind and law of God. And so, at one time, our nation, as I mentioned, had a Bible literacy, and we understood the Bible, we understood the terms of the Bible, and yet as we have made ourselves here to the 21st century, biblical understanding uh, is borderline or non-existence in many churches uh, yet today. And so we need to realize that we need to get back, understand the basics. Today, sin is defined as that which people I don't like do. Sin, in order to be recognized as sin, needs to be really egregious to the point of harming an innocent child. Practically speaking, today's America Christian has zero concept of the reality and prevalence of his own sin. The solution of such low information American society and church is the scripture. James Well likens the Bible to a mirror that shows us the existence and extent of our flaws. In this context, the word of God lays bare our ignorance of sin by careful and repeatedly defining exactly what sin is. Okay, so our first point is going to be this. Sin is the transgression of the law. Okay? Sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So our first point, backed up with Scripture, which it should be, so we understand that sin then is not obeying the law. We're not talking about the law that man has made. We're talking about God's law, okay? So sin is lawlessness. Now, as a young man, when I became, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, someone introduced me to Louis L'Amour. And I really enjoyed reading, reading Louis L'Amour books. As a matter of fact, I read all of the second series and had those well into my 30s. And then finally, I just decided I've read them once, I'm not going to read them twice, so I'll just get rid of them. But the thing I really liked about Louis L'Amour books is that they had a lot of outlaws in them. You know what an outlaw is? An outlaw is one who is out of the law. Okay? And I like to read about how that you know, most of the Sackett series were good men, they would track down the bad men, and those kind of things. So sin is lawlessness. <clears throat> it's basically outlaw stuff, Okay? Man can take his free will and choose how he will live. I mean, that's our choice. That's the way God made us. God has made us to choose. I can choose.
to walk as close to God as I want to walk. I can choose to be as much like him as I want to be. All I have to do is take his word, read it, study it, and apply it to my life, and I can be as close to God as I want to be, or I can be as far away from God as I want to be. Now, I would dare challenge you that a lot of Christians today, okay, I'm going to take in, I'm going to be very broad with this stroke. I would guarantee, I would, I would almost guarantee you that at least 95% of those who claim to be Christians today are outlaws and rather proud of being outlaws when it comes to the law of God. They say, they say things like this, well, that's Old Testament. Oh, well, that, that's an archaic book. God, God doesn't, hasn't explained it to me like that. I, I don't understand it that way. I interpret that this way. And so I would dare say 95% of uh, Christians today are on the, on the outside looking in when it comes to the, the law of God. They, sinners are self-willed outlaws. Sin is being different than God. Okay, so sin is lawless. And sin is being different than God. So here's God. God is holy. He wants us to be holy. That's where God is, okay? Sin leads man to not being like God. So it leads us to being unholy. So if we find ourselves more at home being unholy than trying and striving to be holy, then whoa, what a difference. If a man is living by his rules rather than God's rules, he's living in sin. Sin is selfish in that it transgresses God's law so man can go his own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all can find ourselves away from God but we want, need to be striving to be back in his presence, back to being like him, back to being with him. Sin is knowing better than God, okay? Sin is knowing better than God. Sin pursues its own plan for personal happiness. Like, I know that God says I ought to tithe 10% of everything that I make, but I want a new boat. I, I, I know that God says I ought to be faithful to the house of God, but... But I've got other plans. You see, when, when we can just pursue our plan over God's plan, that's sin. Sin rebels against God's authority. God's authority. And we say, well, I don't like what God says. I don't like what that is interpreted as. I'm going to go my way. Sin leads man to follow his own will, which goes contrary to God's will. He transgresses the law of God and man steps over God's line. Our second point is this, God is good left undone, or I'm sorry, sin is good left undone, sin is good left undone, sin is good left undone. When we transgress against the law, we commit sin. Just as surely as we can sin by commission, we can also sin by omission. Well, I haven't heard preaching about this for a long time. Used to, back when I was a teen, I heard a lot of preaching about this, about the sin of omission. 
James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God made it clear that we are to provide for the poor. Matthew 25, 41 through 43 talked about that if we see someone in need, we ought to help them, we ought to give. And, uh, and yet, I have known Christians through the years who have never smoked, never chewed, never drank, and for decades have thought of themselves as holy, and yet never once witnessed to someone or tried to lead anyone to the Lord. And so they weren't guilty of the commission of sin, but they're guilty of the omission of not telling others about Christ, which is sin. We ought to be about telling others about Jesus. That's something we ought to be doing. This is not righteous living. Living a righteous life would include living a life without omission to that which we know is right to do. And so you, you may go, wow, I really... Uh, you know, think a lot of these people because of the things that they do and the things they don't do. But if they begin to think of themselves as really righteous, holy people, but yet they still fail in the area of telling others about Christ or they fail in other areas, they still are just sinners. And so we have to be careful if we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves or by ourselves. We need to only compare ourselves to Christ. We need to live like Christ the way he would have us to. We ought to have being holy on our mind, being holy as part of our actions and our thoughts. So we would not just emphasize the negative in Christian living, but also point to positive living. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Christian, part of what we do is that we ought to be good to those around us. Have you ever met a bitter Christian? You know, you attract more flies with honey. Bitterness doesn't, isn't going to attract anyone to God. And so we ought to go about doing good, not only to children of God, but also to the lost around us. We know the Ten Commandments, which are part of God's law, and by the way, there's more. If you read the Bible, you can take in, you know, there's another 739, I think, just in the New Testament, if you're going to live by the letter of the law. And in the law, it includes honor thy father and mother. To honor means to bring glory to a thing, or in case of bring glory to our parents. And this can be done with words. But it also ought to be done with actions. If we say we honor our father and mother, but we do it in word only, we fail. It should be seen in the way that we treat them and respond to them and talk with them and interact with them. They ought to see that we honor them in all. Sin is not just in what we do. It is just as much in what we do not do or that we should have done. The third point is the thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Matthew 5, 28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Holiness is an inward grace that looks its way outward or that works its way outward. So holiness is something that ought to be 
inside of us and works its way out of us. Wickedness is an internal cancer, internal cancer that eventually works its way out. You know, I don't know you. I mean, I know you, but I don't know you. The one sitting next to you, your spouse, probably really does not know you as God knows you. But I'm guaranteeing you if the sin of sin is prevalent in your life, no one may know it now, but that sin as cancer will eventually work its way out. It will eventually come forth. It will eventually show itself. You can hide it for a little while, but it will catch up with you. And so in Proverbs 24 and verse number 9, it says, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. And so we may think that we've got it hid. Boy, this is, but it's foolishness to think that we have sin hid. Sin is in the thought, even, in, even if it never progresses into an action. And so a man may uh, look at pornography, and I, I don't get it, but they say women do too, so I'm just going to take it that women are into pornography too. So that a man or a woman might be into pornography, and they might be saying that this is just something that affects me, but they fail to realize it affects the spouse and it affects their children, it affects the rest of their family, it affects the church, it affects their friends and those around them. And they may think that this is a sin that's just mine, that, that is, is mine, and, and no one, it's not going to affect anyone, but it will eventually. It will eventually. Murder sin. I'm sure that I wouldn't get an argument on that. To murder someone is wrong. So is the thought to kill someone. The scripture says that even to hate someone. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So it's, it's our thoughts, not just our actions. It's our thoughts, not just what we say, not just the way we live. Adultery is sin. We, we have no problem recognizing adultery as sin and, and very grievous to the heart of God. But so is to lust after a woman. And Matthew 5, 28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And yet I've heard individuals say, It's okay to look as long as I don't touch. Wrong. 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 I was... Uh, watching a TV show, and they, they were making lists of those that would be okay for them to have one-night stands with. And they were, they were other high-end actors. They all had this list. And then one of the actresses showed up, and this guy goes, well, I had you on my list, but I crossed you off. And, and the, sad, the whole sad point is this, it's still sin just to think of it. God's given me a spouse, Amen. And that door shut. Some of us believe it. 
The door's shut. It's, it's sealed. It's, 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 I have no reason to be thinking or, or foolishness. Not just my actions and non-actions will be judged, but so will my thoughts. Romans 7.24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Man, I'm telling you, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be so awesome to lay aside all that I've had to put up with in this body all these years, to be able to lay aside that, that sin that pulls at me, that battle that takes place between the old man, the new man, and all that has been has been having to be dealt with all these years and to step into the wonderful glories of heaven. I'm telling you, just that fact makes heaven so exciting to me. Not alone that I'll never die, I'll never have a pain, I'll never have problems, but just the sin factor will never have to be dealt with again once we get to heaven. I'm telling you, glory, hallelujah! Number four, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Scripture does not list every possible sin for us, okay? You go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, I'm going to uh, list every sin that I find in the Bible. I'm going to live not to commit any of those sins. There's, it's more than that. The Bible also teaches us sins by principle. A principle is a general expression of God's will, uh, often with a wide application. In Romans 14, 23, it says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not by faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. A friend of mine, Albert Barnes, wrote, In all cases, if a man does a thing which he does not believe to be right, it's sin and his conscience will condemn him for it. Galatians 2, 11 and 12, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And so Peter was having this issue. He was dealing with the Gentiles. He was dealing with the Jews. He became worried about, if I stand here, then this is going to cost me this. And so if we look at ourselves and we say, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, if I take a stand here, it might cost me here, then that decision you're making, that's sin over there. So I was just this weekend visiting with my wife's uh, cousin, who has been here several times. Uh, He's an IT guy. And they've lived in Ohio for years. And uh, he had uh, recently lost his IT position. So he had this headhunter find him a job. And uh, he was interviewing uh, with this uh, several people uh, for this job. And he went in and sat down. And the lady doing the interview said this, I'm a Christian. I just want you to know that up front. He said, it was the best interview I ever had. I said, I'm a Christian too. And they talked about their salvation. They talked about what God had done for him and all those things. You know, he could have gone in with this idea, I I cannot reveal that I'm a child of God. If I reveal that I'm a Christian, 
It may cost me my job or the opportunity to get this job. I really need this job. I really need this money. I need this stuff. And yet God kind of opened the door for him when the boss said, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. And he said, it's been pretty neat. We've had uh, Zoom meetings where we participated. And she had 10 new employees. She said, I want you to write, I want you to write down the greatest statement that's ever affected you. And so it had all these different statements from people, famous people that they'd, these people had written down and made a part of their life. And she said, I want to share you mine. And she said, uh, she shared Philippians 4, I believe is verse number 8, whatsoever things are lovely and good report. And she shared that. Where all the rest of them were sharing outside influencers. She shared the, the Bible. And so... All unrighteousness is sin. Sin, uh, that's our fifth point. All unrighteousness is sin. Not all sin is equal, okay? Not all sin is equal. Matthew 10, 15 says, Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Some aspects of obedience to God are more important than others. Like Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and of cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So he's telling them, look, you've missed it. I mean, you're really good in this area, but you've missed it big time over here. And you need to bring all this in. You need to include it all. First John 5, 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. You know, breaking the speed limit and bur- burning down your house for the insurance money are both against the law. Okay? But the penalties are not the same because the crime is not equivalent. Okay? I guarantee you, you get pulled over speeding, you know, you're going to have a a hefty fine to pay. If you burn your house down, they're probably going to show up with handcuffs and you're probably going to jail, okay? So it's a difference. And we might look at sin and we might say, yet sin is still sin, because it is. And so it's a violation of God's law, whether it's a little sin or a big sin. You used to hear him talk about white lies. Well, I'll tell a little white lie, which is a half-truth, which is sin. It's like having a, a gallon of milk that's two weeks past expiration. You hold it up, you see all the junk on top, and you look at the bottom, you go, but that down there on the bottom looks good. They're just getting through the top to get to the bottom, Right? I ain't interested. I'm dumping it down a drain with lots of water. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with it. Sin is still sin. It's a violation of God's law. It's, it's still rebellion against God. It's still selfishness and pride and arrogance. It's destructive and all so much the more if I try to justify it. And I look to think that someone else's sin is worse than my sin, so I'm not as bad as them. We miss it. 
We're not to compare ourselves among ourselves. We're to compare ourselves to our walk with him. We're not all on the same path as far as our walk with God. Okay, we are all on a straight and narrow path. But what I'm saying is some of us are ahead on that path and some of us are just beginning on that path. And it's okay to be just beginning. But the sad part is in between, there's a lot of people who have just sat down on the path and are like, ah, it was too much work. I, I've got some things I've been wanting to do. And, and, you know, my job now, I have these commitments and I got these engagements and these things. And they're pulling us away and away and away from that path of walking with God. And we find ourselves farther and farther behind because we've decided to let the world influence us and we've decided to say, oh, sin is just a small thing and it's going to be something that's already forgiven and God's going to overlook it when I get to heaven. It's not going to be that bad a deal. But you know that you don't just pay for sin when you get to heaven, don't you? You pay for it here, now. Decisions that you make and the way you choose to live, all those things we pay even now. You know, I've sat through a lot of soul-winning classes, okay, how to win people to the Lord. One of the first things that they'll tell you in a soul-winning class is you've, you've got to get the person you're talking to lost before you can get them saved. If you can't get someone to admit they're a sinner, you're not going to be able to convince them that they need Jesus because someone who's not a sinner, oh, I'm a good person, I don't, I don't need Jesus. You know, it's harder and harder to get people to admit that they're sinners. So my son, he has this witnessing technique that he does, and a lot of times he'll, he'll go up to, let's say it's Charles Hill. He goes up to the guy, and he's talking to him. He goes, so, uh, you know, the, um, I, I have a problem. Sometimes I tell lies, and do you, have you ever told a lie? And he said, there's been times that people say, no, never told a lie. That's like, like basic sin, I think, isn't it? I mean, I think we could go over to the little, little kids today and we could say, well, that one's telling a lie, you know? I've seen babies out of the hospital telling lies. They're crying, crying, crying. Nothing's wrong with them. You little liar. I just bought my wife a, another little wiener dog. The third one. Well, if we go through the list, it'd be more, but it's the third one in our house now. But this dog is, I told her, I said, I thought I was buying a wiener dog. Instead, I bought a whiner dog. I just sat there. I think in this group that we would all readily admit that we're or have lied. Sure. And, and maybe it happened so quick and so fast you didn't even think about it, but then you look back and you go, oh, that wasn't true. Maybe, you know, sometimes that I've told a story and I maybe forgot about how it really went, and so inadvertently I've had to go back and say, you know, I told you that story, but it really was like this, and I didn't mean to, you know, not tell it the right way. Anybody getting old besides me? Or someone will come up, no, good, Jim Stanford, I know you better than that. <coughs> Some people, you, you're telling a story, and, and uh, 
your wife comes up and goes, that's not the way that happened, dear. It happened this way. Not that that's ever happened around our house. I'm just saying. We're living in a time where it's hard to get people to admit that they're sinners. You know, we need to realize that we need to readily examine ourselves. So I'm going to conclude this with the main points. This was the definition that Brother Brennan came up with. I think it's pretty good. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is good left undone. If we have an opportunity to do good and we haven't done it, then that's sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. The, the lustful thoughts, the prideful thoughts, it's sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And all unrighteousness is sin. Lord, we love you today. And I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for the simple book that I found, the way it's challenged me. I pray that I've been able to convey uh, even some of that to your people here today. And Lord, I pray that we would stop and really consider sin. Its weight, its burden upon our society, upon our churches, upon our families, upon our own personal lives. And Lord, might we examine And think, Lord, do I need to change? Is this an area or issue or problem or will it create an issue or a problem in my life? Something that needs to be dealt with. And God, if so, I pray that you give us the grace to deal with it. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us today. Thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. We love you. We ask these things your blessed name. Amen. Would you stand with me? going to sing I'll live for him God's spoken to your heart encourage you to come whatever your need Brother Foster if you would my life my love I give to
Hatch program will be uh, the start of our afternoon service. Encourage you to be back for that. They're such a blessing to see those children use their talents for the Lord. Uh, Fall Praise Festival will be this coming Saturday, begin at 4.30 out the Foster Farm. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table. If you need the address, you can see Brother Foster or myself. We'll be glad to get you fixed up uh, to get out there. Always just have a good time of fellowship. And uh, then teen fundraiser next Sunday. Uh, so we normally break at this time and have lunch. Uh, the teens are providing lunch next Sunday. And if you want to sign up to help them, you can on the back table, by the way. Um, but <clears throat> they're going to have a Mexican fiesta. And uh, so they'll... There'll be a donation, there'll be a box, you can just give whatever you'd like, and uh, it'll go to help them uh, for camp and things like that, trips like that. And so uh, if you can just plan to be a part, uh, be, they'll be serving you drinks, and I think they're going to bring you dessert, and so it'll just be a good time. And looking forward to being a help to our teenagers, amen? Amen. Ladies, Thanksgiving, November 5th, you mark that down, sign up sheet on the back table, daylight savings timing. Uh, November 6th. Also, we do have several that are sick. I talked with Brother Russ today on the way to church. He's got pneumonia, and so if you pray for Brother Lyons, he is back here, uh, but uh, came down with that stuff. Others that are sick, ask that you remember to pray for them, lift them up also. You can look around. You don't see people. You can probably pretty well assume that they're sick and they need your prayers, right? Good to be in the Lord's house today. Brother Chris, would you dismiss us in prayer? Amen.